From BU Cares Research Center, this is Dr. Michelle Lamb and Dr. Jacqueline Kirk, and you're listening to Leaning In and Speaking Out, the Research Connection Podcast. It's a podcast about the world we live in and how education can make a difference. These are conversations about curiosity and how researchers and educators are working in new ways. Each month on the show, we bring together a community member and a researcher to discuss a topic that's important to them. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the first episode of Brandon University's Status of Women Review Committee's podcast, where we highlight the work of researchers at Brandon University who identify as women or are gender non-binary. My name is Greta Sayers, and my pronouns are she, her. I am Assistant Professor of Music Theory at Brandon University and current chair of the Status of Women Review Committee. And I'm very pleased to be hosting the inaugural episode of this podcast, joined today by Morgana Malian and Christy Henry. We are recording this podcast from Brandon University, which has campuses on Treaty 1 and Treaty 2 lands, the homelands of the Dakota, Anishinaabek, Oji Cree, Cree, Dene, and the Red River Métis Nation. Before we begin, we'll take a moment for Morgana and Christy to introduce themselves. Uh, I'm Christy Henry. My pronouns are she, her. I'm the university archivist in the S.J. McKee archives here on campus, and I graduated from Brandon University with a Bachelor of Arts and then got my Master of Arts degree specializing in archival studies at the University of Manitoba. And I'm Morgana Malian. My pronouns are she, her. I'm the student accessibility specialist in student services at Brandon University. I also graduated from BU with a Bachelor of Arts, And then I got my master's in history from Trent University. Great. Thank you. So can you tell us about your project? What's the title? So the title of our project is Unearthing the Lives of Single Women in Southwestern Manitoba. At least that's the working title for now. It seems to change every once in a while, (laughs) but that's our title. Great. And what are your goals for the project? So because they remain unwed and often childless, unmarried women's lives have been characterized as lesser, unfulfilled, and unremarkable. Uh, While there's been increased interest in the mystique of spinsterhood in recent years, as evidenced by the surge in the music and film industry, podcast programming, and self-help literature aimed at empowering female singletons, there's a marked gap in academic studies on the historical and or rural experiences of this group of interest. And this is especially so within a Canadian prairie context. So our research aims to redress this silence in the existing literature by examining the lives and experiences of unmarried women in the southwestern region of Manitoba between 1880 and 1985. Through a post-colonial feminist and postmodern lens, we're hoping to shine a light on the ways that unmarried women in southwestern Manitoba conceived of themselves and the ways in which they contributed to their communities. By unearthing the narratives of these women, we're also hoping to illuminate or gain at least some insight into the experience of alienation that led this subset of unmarried women to not only be ghosts in our culture, but as well as in the historical records. And our project will additionally deepen the collective understanding of the broader history within the Westman region, including spaces that have fallen from public memory in recent years. This is so interesting because you're talking about the lives of women and how this works with the history of the region, as well as, you know, cultural and sociological issues as well. So this is really fascinating. Um, Who do you hope will benefit from this research? 
So we we really think that anyone who's trying to navigate their place within a larger societal gender structure uh, in 20th century Western societies, heteronormative coupling and child rearing practices were really a key component to the organization of social relationships and structures. And as aberrations in the dominant social narrative, unmarried women were left without a sense of place or belonging, and they've had no other option but to invent their own narrative in a vacuum. And the lives of unmarried childless women therefore act as a counterpoint to the dominant modernist narrative of what women and their lives should look like. Yeah, that's great. And just really offering uh, these stories that have so far been untold. Now they're going to come to light and we'll really be able to appreciate um, all these contributions that these women made. So what inspired you to do this research? In my role as university archivist, I would occasionally come across unmarried women in records I was working on, and I would wonder what their stories were, what happened to them, and what their lives were like. Um, Society's archives are a reflection of what we consider worthy of remembering, and conversely, through what records are missing, um, they also reflect what as a society we think it's okay to forget. So, as records are often passed down from parent to child or are inherited by a spouse, I started to wonder what happens to the records of people, women in particular, who are not married and are also child-free. Uh, how are they documented and remembered? And then I found an obituary for a local woman named Jessie Rice in the Brandon Sun, and it was so grim um, and invoked such loneliness and wasted potential that I shared it with Morgana and we were inspired to try and unearth sort of the real story of these women's lives. Um, and the, the quote was, at 91, blind, immobile and shrunken, Jessie Rice was laid in earth June 8th. Her sole official mourner was a friend of longstanding Margaret Doak. That's so sad. <laughs> it is. And then the obituary goes on to talk about all the accomplishments of her extended family. Wow. And so this is just, yeah, the opening of her obituary was just so dark. It's and, just haunting. Yeah. It is. It yeah. Is. And we were sort of thinking to ourselves, well, that can't be the sum of her life. Yeah. Precisely. Yeah, exactly. Right. right. And then I had experience with uh, working with local histories. And so we decided that that would be the sources that we use as our jumping off point um, to dig deeper into this topic. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously, Jesse had purpose and value and contributions in her life. And so for her obituary to only value her contributions by what her relations did is just really telling about how um, women were thought of, how they were considered. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we're recording this in October during Women's History Month. And in 2022, the theme is, quote, providing healing and promoting hope, unquote. This is both a tribute to the ceaseless work of caregivers and frontline workers during this ongoing pandemic, and it's also a recognition of the thousands of ways that women of all cultures have provided both healing and hope throughout history. So what have you found in your research that might connect with this theme? So a lot of the women that we identified as potential spinsters when we were doing this initial research worked in caregiving fields, so education, um, healthcare, or they were caregivers for sick or elderly family members. Additionally, many of the women were active in their communities and their churches, dedicating large portions of their lives to giving back and supporting others in the community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that essentially 
is their role yeah. to provide healing and promote hope yeah, yeah, exactly. for, for everyone else. Yeah. And then their lives are left unrecorded. And so we're all, we're interested in understanding their impacts on their communities and the ways in which, you know, they filled those caregiving roles, but also who they were as individuals outside of their role as the stereotypical caregiver, right? right. It's sort of a double-edged sword a little bit. Right. Yeah. Right. Do you think that you will find like a trend or uh, development or growth in, because um, your, your dates are... 1880 to 1885. Yeah. 1985. Yeah. Um, yeah. And those dates are largely set by the local histories because a lot mm. of them were were put together as centennial projects for the communities. So they were all tended to be published sort of between 1980 to 1985. There were a few done as Manitoba Centennial oh, projects in the okay. 70s, but a lot of them. Um, a smaller community. Yeah, yeah, so that's what we said as our time frame to and start. Then, and initially, because we only had ethics approval to speak to community members and family, um, those dates kind of allowed us the more of the likelihood that women we would be finding would be deceased now. Right. Right. Um, which is not, hasn't necessarily been the case. And some, <laughs> some of the women, there are still some women. I think we had a conversation with someone yesterday um, who said there is a woman who is alive and she's 110. Oh my gosh. And yeah. So wow. there's definitely, right. We need to tap into that mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. wealth of knowledge while it's still around. Right. But yeah. So I would say that the oral history project is definitely going to go past that 1985 okay. date, yeah. Okay, but, but you're to, definitely going back as far as 1880. Yeah. So yeah. to generate the initial list of potential candidates, right. Yeah. Right. That's so where we started sort of like, we've been looking for lots of indicators in the local histories. Um, like, um, the absence of married name mentioned, like remain single, stayed on the farm. Right. Spinster. We we sort of conceived this as a spinster project, right. uh, but the, because that's the legal definition for a woman, right, who is unmarried. Um, but so rarely is that word actually used in the record. Um, okay. Which is part of the reason why we have such a large pool of candidates. Right. Because nobody's. In most cases, they're not stating definitively. Um, even women who are unmarried and wrote their own entries in the local histories often don't even bring up their marital status. Mm. So, but by the absence of that information, you can almost make the assumption we've that we've included them in our database, right, right. Um, and which we're collecting like information, like parents, date of birth, date of death, siblings, their siblings' names. We're interested in groups of siblings that mm. remained unmarried, so oh. brothers and sisters who lived together on the farm oh. and participated, spinster sisters. Yeah, Spencer sisters, uh, aunts and nieces. Yeah, we found a couple of cousins. Yeah, um, wow. we're collecting information about their education, their careers, where they any, went to school, where they worked, any sort of special awards or mentions or um, religion, um, and then we're we're sort of sorting by category to see, right, primarily we're seeing, that's where we're seeing more caregivers, educators, and then our research assistants have kind of started going through that list and discounting people if they found, oh, they did end up marrying and having children or Mm -hmm. um, died before 30, we've discounted them. So we sort of have a process after that to weed out, but I think we're over 2,000 potential names right now. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Much larger than we thought. (laughs) 
<laughs> but yeah, just fantastic. So do you think that you'll find sort of a, a trend in either how the women viewed themselves or what their roles were as time went on? Like, were they primarily caregivers at one point or, you know, stayed on the farm or helped um, lived with another sibling who remained unmarried? Do you, do you see a point where something like that shifts where they say move to the city or they have an apartment on their own or they're, you know, they're living some sort of more independent life. Mm -hmm. I think what I've noticed so far is if they have a more independent life, it's more midlife. Mm -hmm. It it Uh often seems that if they retire, like say they've moved away to the city and had a job when they retire, they might move to a different location to live with a sibling who also didn't marry Mm -hmm. or is widowed. Or, yeah, or to return to their parents' home to help the caregiving right for parents right. in their uh, in their senior years. Um, I think also like something that has come up in um, the literature that we've been seeing is that women with close familial ties in rural communities are less they're they're not looking so much for external relationships right because they have those tight bonds with family members and so in rural farming families you are more likely going to see um, women staying close to their family if they didn't marry uh, because they have those supportive relationships already built in right okay um I'm in if we could find any to talk to. I'm interested to see if uh, women who stayed on the farm and sort of ran the house, say, for especially their brothers, um, if they view the work they did as on par, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the, maybe the men were out in the fields doing the the labor, mm-hmm. but by keeping the house, keeping them fed, all the sort of more maybe more domestic work, if mm-hmm. they view their work on par, yeah. Whereas maybe looking from the outside, you might think it was like, oh, she just stayed home and took care of the men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. So, and yeah, we're sort of, we're looking at that too. You had sort of brought up women moving away, right? Mm-hmm. Or moving to an apartment or moving to the city. So, I mean, we have tracked women who have moved and left the region, but we are primarily in terms of focusing on women for our exhibit or our our articles, women who stayed in the region. Yeah. So we have included them in our stats as, as people who would be considered spinsters, but we are more interested in telling the stories of the women who stayed in the area mm-hmm. or at least spent most of their lives, their lives here, here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah i mean lots of people retire somewhere else right so right. that's okay yeah. yeah but the ones who leave at 20 right we're, yeah. we're we've noted them but we're not as interested <laughs> for the <this> study <laughs> yeah because otherwise we would just have endless names right <laughs> we're already overwhelmed <laughs> yeah. yeah there's also um like we didn't mention this earlier but obviously based on the records that are available to us right there, we, this particular group of women that ends up coming up, right? So rural farming families. um, So we're not seeing the stories or we're not seeing mention of indigenous women, Mm. right? Because they're, the records are not um, inclusive that way, as well as stories of women who would identify or would be part of the LGBTQ community. And so we have noted, um, I think Jesse was one of them, right? But who lived with a lifelong roommate. Ah, Um, And so it was often, and we brought this up at the conference actually, and someone had said, well, I remember I was talking with my, my mom who said like, I had an aunt 
that lived with a roommate their whole life. And then it, it turned out right that they were actually a couple, but uh-huh. couldn't be um, authentic in and right. out. Um, and so everyone sort of piped up at the conference. was like, well, I had an aunt like that. And I had an aunt like that. And so we're also interested if there are women who maintain like lifelong partnerships with mm-hmm. um, other women who, you know, that they were sort of perceived as being roommates or lifelong friends because they couldn't um, be out and sort of where their identity fits into this idea of the spinster or the the unmarried woman. Right. It's so diverse. Like you're going to find so many different stories, (laughs) women who choose to remain single and childless, women who, yeah, can't be their authentic selves with their partners versus women who can't, you know, maybe they want to get married or have children, but they can't. So then they're not a viable option. Yeah. Because during the time period we're looking at too, you're looking at two world wars, a depression, the Spanish flu. (laughs) There's a few extenuating circumstances that impacted the male population. Right. Um, So there could be women who obviously were planning to get married and something happened to their, their potential spouse and Either they didn't meet anyone else or they just decided I, you know, mm-hmm. I met my person. Yeah. And that's that. Right. And yeah. And so, and that's where even like the stigma around disability factors in of, of a point of interest for me. Right. So right. are any of the women that are sort of flagged in our database, women who had disabilities and did that social stigma around disability factor into to their experience as well. So, I mean, there's just, it's endless. It's endless. Right. Yeah. There's so many different threads <laughs> that you're going to find in the research, so many commonalities and yeah, new experiences and different. Yeah. Cause from the archival standpoint too, I'm interested in, even if we can't find what would be considered traditional archival records, what kind of records can we find of these women like quilts or artwork right. or maybe uh, recipes that are handed down, things like that, that right. maybe wouldn't, you wouldn't look for in a traditional archives, but are the records of the, these women's lives. Right. Yeah. So do you have any future plans for the project? We have many future plans <laughs> for the project. Uh, in terms of research, our future plans are to undertake what we're thinking is going to be a medium-sized oral history project. Uh, we plan on interviewing friends and family members of the women we've already identified through the local histories, if we can locate them and oh, they'll fantastic. agree to it. There's been thousands <gasps> really? of potential. Of potential. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then we're also hoping to interview living single women. Some of the women we found in our research are actually still alive. So we're hoping to reach out to them, but also wow. just through talking to people about the project, we've had people say, oh, I've got an aunt or, oh, I'd love to be interviewed. So uh, wow. it seems that there could be a long list of people willing to talk to us. Mm-hmm. And we've already got a couple people. We don't have dates set for the interviews yet, but they're very keen to talk to us. Keen to talk and share photos and, you know, contribute to the project. So it's, yeah, very exciting. Uh, And then we're hoping to produce an exhibit at some point and uh, at least a couple of articles. And we're also planning to create a website where we can uh, list the women we found Mm -hmm. and hopefully also then generate 
interest in the project. Yeah, generate interest in the project and promote the project, mm-hmm. right? For people to say, hey, I know this woman. I'd like to contribute right. to telling her story or I have a photo of her, as well as creating really like a public history space where people can go to learn about women that we have featured or have found more information on. So it's kind of a yeah. a dual purpose. Yeah. A way to collect information, but also a tool for us to promote the project. This is basically a lifelong project we've decided. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. It's huge. We misjudged. Badly. Badly. <laughs> how large this project was. And it's, yeah, just sort of taking on a life of its own, but um Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So then the website, yeah, will just be like a living document that people can Mm -hmm. go to see. And then, so if someone wants to contribute or has some information that has a candidate that they'd like to interview, they should just contact either of you directly. Yeah. So we, um, we have an email address set up that is monitored by our research assistant and as well as uh, the both of us. So it's youwomenbuproject at gmail.com. Um, and so anyone who's interested in learning more about the project or has information they'd like to share are they're invited to contact us at that email address and we will happily set up a conversation and hopefully swap stories. You've been listening to Leaning In and Speaking Out, a Research Connection podcast from Brandon University. For more episodes or to learn more about the BU Cares Research Centre, please visit our website at bucares.ca or you can come find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, or anywhere you get your podcasts.